Well, I want to tell you a story this morning about some friends of mine. This tends to be a theme here for me lately is I've got some missionary friends. And I met them a few years ago, and they are Tom and Sandy Killian. They're founders of Mercy Partners Ministries, and they care for the physical, the educational, and the spiritual needs of people in South Sudan. And it wasn't until I found their book a couple years ago that I dug into more of what their story was and the details of how their heart was moved for this country in Africa and their first trip, Tom's first solo trip over there. Well, it had more stops than it had starts. You see, first he had to fly into a country that bordered Sudan. South Sudan itself wasn't even a country at the time. But there was war going on. There were people fighting for independence, for freedom, and there were those who were trying to oppress them. And so he goes into a dangerous place, and the first thing he needs to do is get permission from the government to travel anywhere else in the country. His goal was to get to a village in the middle of the desert because he had a connection there, and he wanted to build some roots for this ministry. So he heads to a building. He doesn't have a smartphone at this time, follows someone's directions, and there he stands, and it's not the government building he's supposed to go to. Someone misdirected him purposefully because they didn't trust him as an American. So he stood there dejected until someone walked by and said, hey, you're a Christian? Do you need help? I'm a Christian. He's like, how do, how do you know? He goes, you have a name tag on that says Darfur Christian Mission, which is what the ministry was at the time, and he forgot he had it on. But he said, yes, if you could help me. And he goes, well, my boss is a Christian. She works at the clinic. Let's go together. We'll find you where you need to go. So he found the connection. He found the building he needed to go to, the person he needed to talk to, got his paperwork approved. He was on his way for the next step of the journey. But now he had to take a flight to get further into Sudan. And he has one phone call, one phone number, of a man who's supposed to meet him on the other end. So he calls up and he's like, okay, our plans are going good. This is my timeline. You're going to take me on to the village, right? And he said, well, there's a problem. My father is the leader of our village, and he is trying to arrange a marriage for me with a woman that I do not want to marry. I cannot show my face in the village. I'm sorry. I can't be your translator. I can't be your guide. I hope you make your way there. Click. Another dark place, another question mark in the journey. So he's at an airport, and he's standing there thinking, should I even get on this flight? I probably should. I don't know what's on the other end. And I guess he looked dejected again because, again, someone else comes up to him and says, are you okay? Do you need help? It was a well-dressed man. He looked very important. And he assured Tom that, yes, I can help you when you land. Well, you can come to my organization and stay with me. I'm a contractor for the government. I'll get you to where you need to be next. So he goes with his new friend, and they are greeted at the airport with armed guards. And they parted ways for this man. He was important. And he took him into his organization. And Tom met for several days with other members who were influential in the government. And they were Muslims. And they said, we are trying to develop Christian and Muslim relations because we need some hope for our people. Will you pray for us? Because our people are at war and we don't know how to fix it. Tom prayed for them. And then they made a connection for his next step of the journey and said, okay, we can help you secure a driver and a translator. So Tom goes to the next step of his journey, has one more flight, and when he lands there, he's greeted by a man who speaks very little English. So at least he had the driver's part down pat. 
but we'll wait and find out the next step in his journey here in a few minutes. But what struck me by Tom's journey is the fact that it so looks like the early church. You would think that when God said, okay, now's the time. Jesus is back up in heaven. It's time for you to take leadership of the church here on earth. You'd think maybe he would have given a map or a 50-step plan, but he didn't. He would guide his followers one step at a time. He would give them one step to take, and they had to step in faith and wait for the next message from the Lord. And that's what happened to Philip. We're going to meet Philip today in Acts chapter 8. And if you'd like to turn there in your pew Bibles, it's page 777. And we're going to look and see what mission Philip had to take for the Lord. And he took it one step at a time. Verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. Now, there's a number of things I want us to look at here. First, let's check out this map. All the different arrows are the different places that Philip has gone in Acts. But we're going to look at this red section right here. So that's the desert road from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, it just said, go on the road. Do you see how long that road is? Philip got no instructions on what he's going to do on the road, who he's going to meet on the road, and when in this journey of number of days this was going to happen. He just had to start moving. Number two, let's meet the Ethiopian. Now, very excited. Another reason why I thought of my friend Tom is that the area of Ethiopia that this man was from is not the exact borders of Ethiopia that we know today. We've got another map up here to show you where ancient Kush was. And as you can see, Sudan and now South Sudan and Ethiopia are all a part of this region. So this man who's riding in the chariot is from somewhere in this region. And we know he was wealthy. Because first, the scripture said he was in charge of the treasury of the queen. So that's an important high position. And he's probably very well-paid in this position. Number two is he had a ride in a chariot. Pretty fancy. And the third thing was that he owned the book of Isaiah in his possession. Now, it's not a book that you and I would think. You don't just get to photocopy and print, go to your favorite page. We're talking about a scroll. Scrolls that, in order to have another copy of a scroll, they were handwritten. And so, to own one, there were very few, and they were probably, he paid a good amount in order to have the entire scroll of Isaiah in his possession. So, he's from Ethiopia, he's rich, and he's a eunuch. Let's talk. A eunuch... (laughs) is a man who no longer has the physical parts of a man. Now, why he would have chosen this? One of the reasons was in order to get some of the positions in these kingdoms required a man to become a eunuch. In the book of Esther, in the Old Testament, you'll see that a eunuch was in charge of the king's harem because the king didn't want anyone messing with the women in his life, so he made sure they couldn't. 
Now here, maybe because this position was so close to the queen, maybe that was the same reason that he had to have a physical change to take the job. They were looked down upon in society. There's an ancient writer named Josephus who said they were looked down upon because they were deprived of their manhood as if they had killed their children. Their soul has become effeminate. They were regarded as tossing away cultural values of the time, that you couldn't have children, that you couldn't be a true man. So they were regarded as a very low in cultural standards and in religious standards. Even though he had a high position in the government and was well off, he'd made a trade culturally, societally. And finally, in order to worship, first you had to be a Jewish person to go into the temple, and this man was from Ethiopia. Secondly, you also had to be ritually pure. You had to be a circumcised male, and obviously the eunuch could not be such. So he had traveled all this way up to Jerusalem to worship. And when he got there, he couldn't get inside. He, the journey could have taken from 45 to 60 days one way just to get to Jerusalem. Now, did he know before he went that he wasn't going to be allowed beyond the outer courtyard? And did he go anyway? But either way, think of the amount of desire, of faith, and this God that he had learned about, to travel all that way just to be in the holy presence of the Lord. So let's read what happens next. We're going to look at verses 29 through 31. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Okay, so remember Philip, first he just has this message, go, walk along this road a while. And I'm sure he passed a number of people along the way. It was probably around an 80-some mile journey. And at one point, when he passes the Ethiopian chariot, that's when God's Spirit says go. Again, not super specific instructions except for go stand near the chariot. Didn't say what he was supposed to do next. But Philip went, and Philip listened. And I know that sometimes in our lives today, do you ever feel a sense that you're supposed to do something, but you don't know the details? You can imagine step one, but you can't imagine the 50 steps that it's going to take afterward. And it's scary. It makes me not want to take the first step if I can't figure out what's going to happen next. That is what Philip was asked to do. That's what we are asked to do. This same God who called Philip is here with us, and he's the same God who asks us to take a step. And he promises that you take the first step, and he's there with you, and he's ready to show you step two and three and so on. Let's have the faith of Philip. Now, if you noticed, it said that Philip overheard the man reading out loud. I have to tell you a fun fact. If we have a picture here of what the scrolls probably look like that the Ethiopian was reading. And I don't know if you can, it's not a great picture here, but can you see how there's like, it's all one big giant sentence? No punctuation. Okay, I'm an editor. This freaks me out. 
They said that they tended to read out loud because they're trying to comprehend the words and understand where the thoughts begin and end. So that is fascinating to me. That is why he's reading out loud. And maybe that's why he's saying, how can I understand this unless someone explains it to me? But Philip took a bit of a bold step here because it could have been an insult to ask the guy if he understood what he was reading. He was an important official. But maybe it was just super, super casual, supernatural for Philip to just say, hey, oh, I know this scripture. Do you want me to explain it to you? I don't know about you, but sometimes when things come easy, I don't think of it as God in the moment. Because for Philip, he, we specifically see that God said, go do this, go do that. He didn't tell him what to do at the chariot. Philip just figured it out. It seemed natural to him. But that was God too. Because think about it. Philip, probably since he was a Jewish boy, had studied the scriptures. He knew Isaiah. That had been God working in his life over the years for the long term. And suddenly now, he uses his knowledge in this beautiful way to fulfill God's message. Maybe some of you have everyday skills that you don't think twice about. Perhaps you have organizational knowledge for your company. Perhaps you can lead a meeting and structure an event that would intimidate other people. And you think, well, that's no big deal. That's just something that I can do. God can use whatever skills you have to make a difference in someone else's life. It doesn't have to look the most spiritual thing in the moment to realize that it can draw you closer to people. It can fulfill a need. You can help people in ways that they are intimidated by in the ways that he has gifted you. Some of you in this room have been helped by the very helpful skills of Dylan, of Rob, of Eric. How many of us have been blessed in here by the physical knowledge and skills and tools that they have available? That's a blessing. Alicia, super crafty, and she has been blessed, blessed the women's groups and given us gifts that made a difference in our lives. I had a flat tire on Gilbert Avenue, right in front of where Larry Buddy worked, and he came out and changed my tire when I didn't know what to do, didn't know how to do it. That knowledge may not have been a big deal in his life, but it made a difference to me that day. So God can use us, and he's in the works for the long haul. Sometimes we won't see it in the moment, but we can use our skills for him. Now, let's keep going and find out the next step of the journey, verses 32 through 35. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And that's from Isaiah 53. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. So remember, the Ethiopian is considered outside of the current worship experience because of two things. Because he was not from Israel and because he was ritually impure. And here, Philip is using this scripture to say, 
But guess what? There is a man who came, who was the Son of God. That is who Isaiah is speaking of. And because he came, he has made a way for everyone. No matter where you're from, no matter what you look like, no matter what your past is, you can now belong and worship because of Jesus. That is the good news that the Ethiopian received that day. And you know what makes me really excited? Is that that plan didn't just happen when Jesus arrived on earth. God had this plan all along. Let's look at Isaiah 56. Just a little bit farther on the scroll from where the Ethiopian was reading were these verses. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. Let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me, who hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord, who minister to him, love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath, who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. God had planned all along to bring a foreigner and a eunuch, and this man was both, into his house. Because though God started with a group of people, the Israelites, and he showed himself through them for years, he demonstrated who he was and he nurtured a group of people. But his entire plan had always been, take those people and use them to spread his news further and further to the ends of the earth. And that was fulfilled. This scripture was fulfilled right then when Philip told an Ethiopian music about Jesus. Now, one last section of this scripture. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, well, sorry, as they traveled along the road, verse 36, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Now, at some point in the message that Philip shared with the Ethiopian was probably about baptism. You know what? Why do you think the Ethiopian was probably so excited? For years, he had been unable to demonstrate his commitment to the Lord because the law said he had to be circumcised, and he could not do that. But do you know what he could do? He could be baptized in water and demonstrate his commitment to God through Jesus. So, Right along the way, they're just driving along in the desert, and he sees water, and he says, let's do this now. Why even wait? And the words, when it says that he went on his way rejoicing, indicates by commentary, commentators say that that means he went back to his home country. That on his way rejoicing, he was able to take the good news of Jesus to a whole new continent, back to Africa. Now, Back to my friend Tom in South Sudan, right where that Ethiopian was from, that's where my friend was traveling. So he's in the truck with his driver, not a translator, 
and they're going along and get a flat tire. He changes the tire and then says, well, now we have to take a detour to get a new tire. Well, he didn't say that, that my, in words that my friends knew, but he knew that was the point. And now they were going into a dangerous part of the country that Tom, as an American, was at risk. So he stayed in the truck while the driver went to go get a new tire, and there was a knock on the window. This young man was outside and said, hey, can you give me a ride? And Tom knew it was not the safest thing, but also felt somehow compelled that he needed to step out of the truck and have a face-to-face -face conversation. The young man was Augustino. And he said, I need to get to this city. And Tom goes, well, that's just where we came from, so I can't take you there now, but you speak really good English. Could you come and be my translator and introduce me to the people in this village? And then in return, you can ride back with my driver to the city you're trying to get to. And Augustino said, why are you going there? That's in the middle of nowhere. He, Tom said, I am to share Jesus because a friend asked me to share it with his father in this village. Augustino said, you're like John the Baptist. And Tom's eyes lit up because here was a young man who believed in Jesus. So they hopped in the truck together and they started to have a conversation. And he found out all the things that Augustino had learned about Jesus. And they had a big conversation. Then he said, you know, I wanted to follow him, but no one will baptize me. And I know it takes a lot of water, and we're out here in the desert. Let's read. I'm going to read directly from Tom's words. I glanced out the driver's window in disbelief. There was water. How divine. I called for the driver to stop. Out of the few English words he knew, that was one he was familiar with. The brakes were applied hard and dust blew past us, and our driver hopped out with an AK-47 in hand. Give me that, I said. I exchanged his weapon for my camera and showed him the trigger. A few feet from the truck, cattle in a pond waited for the rebirth of Augustino, and he was hardy headed down in the water. I stood in a moment of wonder as I held Augustino while baptizing him in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I asked, I reached out to Tom and said, I found this story in your book. I just wanted to find a story about South Sudan and ministry there. I said, you had a moment like Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch. And he said, yes. Do you want the picture that the driver took? So he sent it to me this week. You know, the thing about both the Ethiopian eunuch and Augustino here, besides being from the same region, years apart, they both took a step of faith in what they knew. The Ethiopian, he knew the temple. Augustino knew some about Jesus and knew baptism was part of it, but they needed help to take the next step. And God honored their faith and brought Tom, brought Philip to the Ethiopian, and he helped them take one step more in the journey. But you know, both of them also had to be vulnerable. They had to admit the Ethiopian had to say, no, I don't understand what I'm reading. Augustino had to say, I need help. I can't do this alone. They had to be vulnerable, and that's not easy. And everyone in this room knows that's not always easy to be vulnerable, to ask for help. But you know, my challenge for us today is to notice that other people around us are trying to be vulnerable. And it might be in each person. 
The people may not be as obvious as reading out loud in a chariot, but you can tell when people are giving a little bit of vulnerability. If you look, if you listen, spiritual conversations might be happening around you. Are you going to be willing to step in? Are you going to be willing to bring into that conversation the beautiful message of Jesus? To say, we all belong. You belong. Let's pray. God, there is someone in each of our lives who don't know the next step of their journey, who are seeking and may not know about Jesus. Jesus' offer for all of us to belong. And God, I pray right now that if someone is on our hearts, that we would be willing to be looking and listening for an open conversation, a chance to bring the beautiful message of Jesus into the life of that person. Give us the strength and the faith to take the step ourselves and to walk along someone else's journey with them. Thank you for the person who shared Jesus with us. In his name we pray, amen.